Amen. Well, last week we uh, finished up our Jonah mini-series um, following the prophet Jonah and his um, dislike of his mission, his rebellion against God, uh, and how he was uh, shown grace upon grace, and how others in the story responded to the grace of God while Jonah continued to run and to, to try to disobey. Um, and how God forgave and relented of destruction that he had promised upon a sinful city uh, of Nineveh, and how that angered Jonah. So again, just this taking uh, God's grace for granted and uh, almost feeling entitled to it. And so we talked about that last week, how we feel entitled to God's grace, how sometimes we want to be managers of God's grace instead of messengers of God's grace, uh, but how God is faithful to remind us of his grace. Uh, today is Palm Sunday, which marks the beginning of Holy Week, just the, the final week leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus, um, where he laid down his life and shed his blood for sinners like you and me, um, but he did not stay dead. That's what next Sunday is a special celebration for, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Um, and between now, Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, uh, we have Maundy Thursday, which gets its name from uh, Jesus saying, a new commandment I give to you. Uh, the Latin for that is comes from mandate, and so you get Maundy anyway. So Maundy Thursday, uh, when Jesus washed his disciples' feet and said for his disciples to love one another. Good Friday, which is a weird name, right, for the day that Jesus was crucified and just brutalized and tortured. And yet that was the culmination, the completion of the saving work of Jesus uh, in forgiving us and taking the punishment for our sins. And so that's why it's such a good, good Friday um, in that he, he finished the work on the cross. He said, it is finished. Um, and so he laid down his life. Saturday, known just as Holy Saturday, the time in the tomb, um, a time of kind of silence on the part of, of God and uh, what he's doing and what he was doing in Jesus. And then, of course, on Sunday, Resurrection or Easter Sunday, uh, when Jesus is not where they left him, right? They come, we'll talk about that next week, but when they show up looking for him and he's not there um, because he has risen from the grave. So this morning, though, as I mentioned, Palm Sunday, we're going to look at Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem as he's entering the city uh, and talk about how Jesus is worthy. And so our theme this morning, and you may have picked up on it, I don't know, uh, is that Jesus is worthy. So I'm going to read from Matthew uh, chapter 20 verses 29 through chapter 21, verse 11. So the words will be on the screen, or if you don't have a copy of the scriptures yourself. Um, this is Matthew 20, starting in 29. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let your eyes be opened. Let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, 
humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. We see in this passage that Jesus is worthy. And we're going to go over a few things that Jesus is worthy of that I think we see in the events that we just read about. The first is that Jesus is worthy of our witness. Jesus is worthy of our witness. As Jesus and his followers are heading into Jerusalem, a huge crowd is following them, and these blind men cry out to Jesus. They call him the Son of David, which is a messianic name, meaning you would only call someone this if you believe them to be the Messiah. There's a term reserved for the Messiah, the promised Savior of the people of Israel. The crowd rebukes the blind men to be quiet, but they call out all the more, it says, right? So even more urgently or more loudly, um, pressing the issue even further. These men know that their only hope for any mercy is found in Jesus, and if they truly believe him to be the Messiah, then it's not something that they are going to be quiet about, right? Because the Messiah would certainly be worthy of their praise, their recognition. We'll see later that these two blind men might be the only people in this whole story who really see Jesus for who he is, being someone who can heal of their blindness, right? We'll see some of the expectations of the others in a little bit in a few moments. Um, but these two men are crying out to Son of David, Messiah, the promised one, and not in a way that the crowd is going to cry out to say, hey, king, set up an, our, our new uh, dominant nation, right? Restore the nation of Israel on earth. These men are calling for a supernatural miracle to be healed of their blindness. And so I think there may be some more discernment or recognition within them uh, that we might see in some of the others. Jesus, the Messiah, son of David, is worthy of our witness. He's worthy to be called on. And when we realize that clinging to Jesus is the most important thing that we could ever do, uh, we won't let anything get in the way of that. Similar, I think, to we see in these two men, right? They know that this is their only shot, their only hope, their only chance. They've got uh, everything to gain, nothing to lose. And so they get louder and they call out and they call on the name of Jesus. I think if we truly realize that Jesus is our only hope, our only um, chance at uh, salvation, at, at joy, at all the things that come through knowing Christ, uh, then we won't be silenced as easily as well. Once we identify Jesus as our object, the object of our faith, uh, then we should call on the object of our faith, right? We should testify to who he is and what he's done. We sing about in the last couple of weeks what he's done, what he's done, to remind ourselves what has God done, what has Jesus done in our lives. We spent time last week uh, after the service in our time of prayer, and we will again today, praising God for his character uh, before we even get to what he's done. Who is he, right? What are the characteristics? What is his heart towards us? Uh, what are the characteristics that make him God or that are unique to him? 
that make him so above, so other, so worthy of praise. And so we testify to his perfection in every aspect, as it should be. But sometimes things aren't as they should be, right? Sometimes we stay silent instead of calling out or testifying about what Jesus has done. And often this is without someone telling us to be quiet, right? These men are calling on the name of Jesus, and the crowd is trying to shush them, and they get even louder. And I was thinking about me and us and believers around the world, and when we are... Uh, we have the opportunity to testify to who Jesus is, and we often stay silent. Uh, most of the time, it's not because a crowd or someone is silencing us or shushing us. We have an internal dialogue, and we convince ourselves to keep quiet. Whether we tell ourselves that people don't want to hear about this Jesus thing right now, or we feel some sense of shame about boldly identifying with Jesus, sadly, we silence ourselves, and we squash that witness in ourselves. So we need to remind ourselves, we need to gospel ourselves, this good news ourselves daily in order not to lose our conviction and our witness about who Jesus is and who he is in our lives. We can say what the scripture says and what is true about Jesus for everyone. And then we have our own personal testimonies of grace to say, this is how Jesus has done that, how I've seen that universal truth in my life, how that's played out for me. Like the disciples in Acts 4, we should be those who say we can't stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. When they were silenced, they were threatened with persecution, with um, uh, jail, with, right, with um, being beaten. And they said, we can't stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. It's that important. It's too important. It's too great a message. And that has no benefit for them right? They've been blessed by Jesus. They know Jesus. They've walked with Jesus. And so it's not like they get extra salvation or healing by testifying. They're saying, this is so good that I have to share it with everyone else that they might experience the Jesus I've experienced. We can't stop speaking about what we've seen and heard, they said. Just as we talked about last week and probably other weeks before that, recounting the grace of God in our lives and recording those blessings, kind of keeping a record of what God has done, it helps us to see and remember who Jesus is. But also, not to just leave that for ourselves, but to share that with other people. Again, those testimonies of grace in our lives, they serve as a witness about Jesus that we can proclaim to others. He is worthy of us telling others about him. He's worthy of our witness. Secondly, as we see in the triumphal entry, he's worthy of our worship. Jesus is worthy of worship. The manner in which Jesus rides into Jerusalem is in the style of a king. And now you might not think there's a whole lot of fanfare there with a, a donkey, but um, it is the style of a kind of triumphant processional as he comes into town. Uh, leading almost a victory procession like a king would into a city after a great victory. Uh, specifically for the people of Israel, for the Jews, they would remember um, in 164 B.C., Judas Maccabeus, uh, who was a leader in Jerusalem, who led a revolt in Jerusalem to kind of kick out all the, the Greek gods and goddesses and kind of overthrow this Roman influence in Jerusalem. And he had this triumphal entry with palm branches as well back in 164 B.C. And so this imagery is coming to mind again for the Jews as they see Jesus entering the town almost again like, hey, yeah, kick out these Roman oppressors again, right? It's time to restore the nation 
of Israel. And so they're calling out to him, and they call out to him with praise, shouting, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna to the Son of David. So again, we see this messianic title, Son of David, the promised Savior. Hosanna is a Hebrew word that means save. And so basically they're saying, promised Messiah, Savior, save us. And so for us as Christians or people who understand the full message of Jesus and what his salvation really means, hopefully we've trusted in that salvation, we've received that salvation. They are not seeing it as a spiritual salvation yet still, right? They're still saying, you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel. This promised Messiah is going to come and restore the people, the nation. And so they're treating him as king and they're worshiping him as king and worshiping him as the promised Messiah, the one who was going to come and save. But they're saying save, almost like save us from the Roman oppression, save us from the persecution that we're under, and save our nation and restore it yet again. They connect Jesus to the Messianic Psalm as well, not just to this idea of Judas Maccabeus, but Psalm 118, which was our call to worship. And so they're kind of quoting that as they sing Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, calling him to save. It's his identity as Messiah that has already made him worthy of worship, right? He hasn't saved them yet, but they recognize him, or they are in this moment at least, recognizing him as the one who is coming to save, and through his identity, they worship him. But we know uh, how this week ends, right? And we know how Jesus was treated in other places where he wasn't recognized as Messiah, uh, where he was um, persecuted or um, ignored or uh, just totally rejected. He doesn't always get this kind of fanfare or this kind of worship. And then we know if we fast forward to Thursday, Friday, um, Saturday, right, that there are many who don't receive him as such. They don't respond to him, torturing him, killing him, not seeing Jesus for who he truly is. I think this is because recognition is key to worship. Recognition is key to worship. In 2007, Joshua Bell, who is a, a I assume, this is not my, my crowd, but a world-renowned violinist, a virtuoso, um, and so top of his field, amazing, amazing person who had these, you know, was doing concerts in D.C. Um, for probably super expensive tickets. Anyway, he did this social experiment where he went and busked in the metro station, which is where musicians will just play and set out their instrument case, right, and people can throw coins in or whatever. And so he's down there, he just kind of puts a hat on, he's, I guess, incognito, just kind of dressed down, uh, and he's playing all these, like, classical masterpieces. For 43 minutes, he plays, just to see if people would recognize who was really in front of them and the gift that they're really getting to experience. Out of the 1,097 people that passed by, uh, 27 gave him money. Only seven stopped to listen to him play for any amount of time. Over those 43 minutes, he made $52.17 over the course of that 43 minutes. And 20 of that was from one lady who recognized who he was and knew that he was the super famous violin player. So everyone, and they have, and on YouTube you can see it, and they start to do like a time lapse, and it's just him playing, and there's just people passing him, passing him, passing him. There's no crowd ever forms. Every once in a while, one person will kind of stand to the side and just stop and listen, and everyone just passing him and passing him and passing him. They don't realize who's in front of them, right? They don't recognize his identity. 
And so there's no worship there worthy of who this person is. It says a lot of things as well about just how we take for granted music or how we maybe overestimate the value of music in, in other scenarios. Um, the video kind of ends with the one lady who recognized him. He stops playing and she says, uh, I saw you in concert or something like that. And he's like, oh, thanks. She's like, yeah. Um, and so there's just one lady. She didn't like, hey, like, come and see who this is. But she just quietly enjoyed the, uh, the presentation. But I think this serves to reinforce the idea that we don't worship what we don't recognize as worthy of worship. Uh, even when it's right in front of us, in all of its worship worthiness, we often don't worship it if we don't recognize it as worthy of worship. At the triumphal entry, Jesus was recognized as Messiah. He's seen in a kingly light. He's hailed as king. He's hailed as Messiah, son of David. The people have been expecting a king, right? They have expectations for a kingdom. They've been promised a king, a savior. They long for and need a king. And at least for this day, they see him as that promised king. Now, again, they're still looking for an earthly kingdom. And so they kind of don't quite get it. Uh, you see at the end of the passage that we read, they said, who is this? And they said, this is the prophet Jesus, right? They don't say, this is the Son of God. Um, and so they say, this prophet Jesus, he might be the Messiah. We're treating him as the Messiah and expecting him to set up this earthly kingdom. So just as we need uh, to fuel our witness by reveling in the gospel, gospeling ourselves, gospeling each other, that we might proclaim the things that Jesus has done and who he is, um, we to fuel our eager expectation uh, of worship, um, we need to recognize Jesus' work in our lives as well. If worship is fueled by recognition, then again, it goes back to recognizing who is this Jesus, what has he done, who is he in my life, um, that we might worship him. Expectation and recognition are much more likely if we're reminding ourselves and reviewing the promises of God. What has God promised to do? Where has he fulfilled those promises? What has he done in my life? Who has Jesus promised to be for me? And who am I if I am in Christ? What has he done? One of the main reasons that people recognize Jesus in this story is because he came into town riding on a young donkey, just like the prophecy foretold. Right? There's a visual clue that ties back to a promise God had made from Zechariah 9.9, saying that he would come into town, here comes your king riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So it's very specific, right? We see Jesus say that you're going to find a donkey and a colt with her. And so he's like, bring, no, don't bring the donkey, bring the colt, because that's the prophecy that is to be fulfilled. And so people see the visual, they remember the promise, and then their worship is fueled. Oh, this is the promised Messiah, because it ties back to the promise God has made. They didn't know the promise, it would have been harder to recognize who Jesus was. When we know what we're looking for, we're more likely to treasure the right things. Um, there's a, a little game that I learned at the school when you need the kids to pick up the trash on the floor uh, and they don't want to do it. You say, mystery trash. Well, it was amazing that this worked, and it still works every time I've done it. Um, we say mystery trash, and so kids start scrambling, and they start picking up all the trash on the floor, and they come to you, and you go, is this it? Is this it? Um, so what you're supposed to do, um, I don't know if I did it the first time, so I might have learned uh, backwards. Uh, you identify a piece of trash on the floor visually, and you keep it in your mind, and then the kids start picking up the trash, and you take note in your mind of who picks up the mystery trash, and that kid gets a prize. 
So one kid gets a prize, but all the kids are working together to clean up the, tra- the classroom. Um, there's some holes in the game that they don't realize yet because they're little kids. They don't realize that it's a, a raw deal. Um, but they'll come up to you and be like, is this it? No. And then they still put the trash in the trash can um, where I would be like, man, if that's not it, I would just throw it back on the floor. But uh, they don't get that, right? But if they knew which piece was the mystery trash, then they would all want that one piece. They would recognize which one is the valuable one. They would recognize which one is worthy of this is, needs our attention rather than just like, oh, it's just all indiscriminate trash. But uh, Mr. Wilson has picked one of them as worthy of the mystery trash. How many lesser kings or false gods, idols, other junk do we spend our time, our effort, our affection on? This is why Paul reminded Christians in Philippians, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In Colossians, he tells us to fix our eyes on the things above, which are eternal, the things above where Jesus is seated, so that we don't get distracted by all the other trash, right? That we don't put our focus our recognition, we don't try to apply worth to things that are not worthy of our worship. He tells us where to look. And I think part of the practice here for Christians is to stare until you see it sometimes. If we're not feeling it, if it's like, um, you know, just feeling kind of a dry period or one of those things where you're just like, my, my heart's not in it, um, sometimes you just stare at it until you see it, right? And then, and then you see the beauty of Jesus. You see the gospel come alive. You see these things, but until then, it's the discipline of whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things, to keep our focus on the right things, to keep our eyes fixed on things above. It's like those magic eye drawings, right? You kind of stare at it until you see it, and eventually you just, your eyes get tired and kind of unfocused, and, and this image pops out. Sometimes that's how it is with the gospel through discipline, through faithfulness, through staring at Jesus and his promises, the things that are true, commendable and pure, lovely. And sometimes the Spirit blesses us with, oh, that's right, worthy of worship, worthy of praise. Our third point this morning can often serve to bridge the gap between recognition and worship. And it is this, Jesus is worthy of our wonder. Jesus is worthy of our wonder. When all this fanfare comes into town accompanying Jesus, many see him as the king that he's presenting himself to be, right? Jesus is not mistakenly presenting himself as king. This is a very public, very bold, very strong statement where Jesus is saying, yeah, I am the Messiah. Jesus knows the promise from Zechariah. So he knows exactly what he's doing when he fulfills the promise, the prophecy, and rides into town this way. He's presenting himself as, I am the Messiah. I am the king. Now, again, they might have had some misconceptions as to what the king was going to do, but Jesus didn't have any misconceptions, didn't make any mistakes in presenting himself as the king. Many recognize him as the king, and some are just enthralled by the commotion. It says that there was... Uh, the, the city was stirred, right? Asking, who is this? Who could this be that's deserving of all of this? Who demands this kind of attention and excitement? 
The whole city is stirred up. Who can stir up a whole city? I've seen pranks where people will just kind of pretend to be celebrities, and so they'll have other friends follow them like they're famous and kind of like record them or ask for autographs, and eventually other people will start to think, that's a famous person. And so they'll all start to kind of treat that person as famous and treat them like a celebrity and almost act like paparazzi, even though they don't know who it is. They're just like, this is someone famous. I should be uh, worshiping this person. I should be interested in who this person is. But if you were to continue to follow them for long enough, you'd realize this is just somebody who's not anybody, and they're just playing a mean joke on us. But they've been kind of inspired, right? They've, they've, there's this wonder created about them because people start to treat this person for who they are or who they want people to see them as. But Jesus inspires real, lasting wonder, right? If you're a believer, he's already giving you something to wonder at, to be in awe of. The fact that he would act first in saving us. The almighty, perfect, and holy God of all the universe initiated relationship with you. He took on humanity, lowering himself to experience the worst parts of being a human when he didn't have to do that. Suffering, humiliation, abuse, and none of it justified, right? He's completely innocent. He went on to die in our place, taking the punishment that we deserved, sparing us from eternal condemnation, but didn't stop there. He also gave us his righteousness and every spiritual blessing, Scripture says, that he's entitled to, we now have in Christ by faith. Who is this that caused such a stir in Jerusalem and also completely transforms lives, taking the punishment that we deserve and extending grace to sinners? He is Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. He's the Son of David, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and He is worthy of our witness. He is worthy of our worship, and He is worthy of our wonder. He is worthy the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus, the Messiah, not to set up an earthly kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. It's not of this world. This is Jesus. He is worthy. Let's pray. Jesus, I, I pray that we don't lose the wonder of the cross of your offer of salvation, of what you went through to make salvation possible, God, that we would uh, always be humbled by that, be in awe of that, that we, would, we, we know the answer, but it would still produce in us this idea of who is this? Who, who could it be? How could it be that a perfect, loving, totally holy and righteous God of everything would desire relationship with me, would lay down his life, would suffer unjustified abuse and torture and hurt and pain and sorrow that I might be saved, that I might be shown grace, that I might be reconciled to God, 
Jesus, that you would not only take our punishment and, and wipe the slate clean in forgiving us, but that you would go beyond that and take us into super abundance in grace and mercy and give us your righteousness that we could never earn, we never deserve. May we always be in wonder of that, God. May we worship you because of that love towards us, that grace towards us, that salvation that you have secured for us. And Jesus, may it be May we be witnesses to it, pointing others to the hope that we found, the life that we found, the grace, forgiveness, and mercy that we have found in you, and that it's found in nowhere else, only in you. So we praise you, Jesus. We say, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You are our God, we are your people, and you are worthy of our praise. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.